This is Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys on Dubai Eye 103.8. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Helen Farmer with you. Your chance to hear from the experts, the insiders and the industry. Get some great recipe ideas. And of course, share your questions as well as we talk all things food. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Trick or treat. Definitely talking more treats this afternoon and joining us from Spinneys' category manager, Joe Black. She's the one responsible for the candies that are adorning the shelves. And I have to say, Joe, you're getting me in trouble with the kids already. Um, they're, they're, they're already talking about trick-or-treating, what they want to choose, what they want to give away, how much planning goes into getting these treats on the shelves uh, well in advance. Yeah, I mean, it is, um, it is a lot of planning. Um, we work absolutely tirelessly months and months and months in advance and it's yeah it's meticulous to say the least um but yeah we've we've got a great team here we work really really hard with our with our sourcing officers across across the globe really to bring the most exciting the most innovative and the most tasty treats um for our customers here so yeah it's very very exciting months and months of planning (laughs) and it is from all over the world you know we we talk about dubai being a melting pot which is a massive cliche but one for a reason you know you've got customers who are literally from all four corners of the globe so you're introducing them to you know new and exciting products but also wanting them to give a bit of nostalgia as well i would imagine what was halloween like for you growing up what what were your kind of culinary highlights if there were any <laughs> so um so i grew up in a house full of um full of boys so i'm the youngest of four brothers um so yeah it was definitely um definitely lots of memories from from halloween growing up going trick-or-treating with with my brothers coming home swapping like the sweets yes. that you've got with ones that you didn't like um, which is always great and obviously I was the youngest so I always managed to like sneak an extra few from, from the ones that felt sorry for me um, but yeah no we, we would always like carve a pumpkin every year and we never did anything with the inside because I think anyone that's able to turn pumpkin um, into anything that tastes really good is, is a culinary expert so um, yeah we always struggled with that. That's, and that's fine ours all, our pumpkins always stayed outside for far too long because we, we couldn't bear to say goodbye saw a great video of the day and it was someone using a power hose to carve a pumpkin I was like now that wow. is the kind of DIY my husband could get on board with um, so let's talk food because as I said some incredible products stuff I've literally never seen before um, on the shelves at Spinney's on the sweet front including this is one that got the kids attention glow-in-the-dark chocolates what is this sorcery tell us more um so it's like it's, it's kind of a new innovation that's, that's making waves in in predominantly the u.s i think a lot of the candy manufacturers across across the world but the u.s is obviously famous for, for seasonal seasonal confectionery and um, they're just trying to really elevate their offering and really set themselves apart from from the competition within the brand because it's it's so competitive. I mean, every year there's there's the aim to be the number one product um, on the shelves. And glow in the dark is obviously something that that is so cool, so unique. Nothing we've really seen before. So it is. It's flying off the shelves. Um, we're seeing it from the likes of Kit Kat, Reese's, and it is. It's just phenomenal. It's it's an amazing bright fluorescent green. So you'll be definitely won't miss it. <laughs> I don't want to think about consequences and glow-in-the-dark chocolate. I'll let, that, I'll let my children report back on that one, Joe. Um, do you ever have any, have any surprises about what really resonates with customers, things that kind of sell out quickly and you think, I hadn't even thought that that would fly? Yeah, I mean, we 
obviously the the family favorites like all of those brands that you remember growing up with are, are sort of the the expected sellers you know you always know you're going to sell well on things like mars and milky way and things like that and um, but we do always try and go a little bit you know we try and launch some new different things that perhaps they wouldn't have seen in the market i mean something it's probably not a surprise, but something for me that has been mad on the likes of TikTok and Instagram are these hot chocolate bombs that we've started to sell. So it's basically a chocolate sphere that you, you put in a cup and you literally pour hot milk on and it, it creates a hot chocolate with marshmallows inside. And mm. it sounds like quite simple, but actually it's gone crazy. And, you know, it's, it's, it's unique. No one's ever seen it before. But that, that did surprise me as to how well that one was selling. That's interesting that there's a social media aspect as well. You need to keep an eye on the likes of TikTok to see if people are having, you know, their whipped coffees or their, you know, their cucumber juices and, and ultimately how that could trickle down to customers spend absolutely um social media on confectionery in the last i would definitely say the last 18 months two years has become so so big and people actually create accounts purely devoted to new foods new brands new trends um and yeah we just we can't really keep up with it we we're constantly on social checking what the new exciting stuff that's launching into the market um but yeah it's, it's very very big really big now, I wanted to ask you about some of the twists that you found on those family favourites, because some of them have got some pretty cool names, like the Cadbury Scream Egg. <laughs> now, this, this is a dream come true for me, because it's not Easter, and I thought normally I've got about a month of filling my boots with Cadbury's Cream Eggs, but they're bringing them back for a bit of a Halloween autumn flavour. Do they actually taste any different? Um, so again, they've got a bright green um, filling compared to your standard egg yellow coloured yolk. Um, so again, a little bit of a twist for Halloween, um, but very, very similar in taste. Um, but yeah, it was really exciting for us to see that as well, because cream egg is such a such a nostalgic product. It's something we grew up with, especially in the UK, um, with Halloween, with Easter, sorry. And, and now to have a version of Halloween, yeah, I think a lot of people feel like you, Helen, like finally we can get it all year round. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dream come true um and it's, it's funny coming from the uk because a lot of you know halloween um and kind of what, what americans would call fall products are you know we're introduced to through movies and, and tv programs and reese's was one that i kind of thought was just like hollywood folklore until i came to dubai and i was like oh actually reese's is a real product that people actually eat um and they've also got a bit of a, a halloween twist as well with a pumpkin flavor does this work it definitely does like we we it depends what your sort of what your i guess palette is like and whether you like that flavor because i think pumpkin can be quite polarizing like i said Growing up, we never struggled to make anything out of the pumpkin um, that we would uh, have on our on our doorstep. Um, but we we have seen it pop up in those full flavor um, flavor products. So Kit Kat are doing a pumpkin pie flavor for Halloween, which we're selling. And again, like for some people, it, it's it's a flavor that you know they can't get any time of the year, and they want to they really want to get into the season and they want to try it. Um, and it's something they haven't seen before, so they're willing to give it a go, I guess. But it does work. It does work. Uh, I think I need to do a taste test. It sounds a bit too weird for me, but 
I'm willing. I'm I'm willing to to go there in the name of investigative journalist. Uh, but it's interesting. Kind of obviously came with the back of this, you know, pumpkin spice latte, which goes goes massive uh, for you know Starbucks and, and other kind of riffs internationally as well. So yeah, we are very much in pumpkin season. Um, something I really loved from Spinney's over Christmas were your gorgeous houses that you'd put together, the baking. So gingerbread houses, you can ice and decorate them. And you've got a spooky twist for Halloween. Tell us more. Yeah, so based on all of the, the success that we see um, at Christmas with the, with the gingerbread houses, I mean, they, they absolutely fly off the shelves. Our customers can't get enough of them. Um, it's such a great thing to see, you know, families making them at home together and actually spending time cooking and, and you know, having a great experience with food. Um, so we definitely wanted to repeat that for Halloween. Um, and we've got a number of different um, stews that we brought in for, for Halloween with a spooky twist. So we've got some haunted house which again like we know that people during during covid there was a lot of home baking and it hasn't really gone away mm-hmm. um, so we wanted to we wanted to give some some customers the opportunity to, to do that again with a little spooky twist so we've got some lovely stews in there um which gives the people uh we give our customers the opportunity to make their own chips at home it's great i love it fantastic idea now this is going to be a contentious one joe but based on your tasting and buying experience I'm afraid to ask you this. Which country do you think makes the best chocolate? Oh, <laughs> oh the political one. <laughs> it's really difficult for me. I mean, I obviously I'm from the UK, and I yeah, I guess I'm loyal to my nation. I I love British chocolate. I I absolutely adore it. Um, I've been to the states many times on on holiday and with and with business as well, and I. I love I love the uniqueness that comes out of America and I love the fact that they make any seasonal event so so big. So there are definitely some favorites from the US, but then if you're talking about gourmet chocolate, I mean we've got fantastic um manufacturers here in UAE, uh, Merzam for example, based in Alcoos, they are absolutely masters at what they do and the quality and flavors that they deliver are insane for something in the Middle East which really really surprised me. Um, but yeah, I think I'm a British chocolate girl at heart, just because of just because of my where I grew up. Um, but definitely some some great spots around around the globe where you can get some fantastic fantastic flavours and quality. Well played, well played, Joe. And um, and last, <laughs> if you're going trick or treating, what would you like to see put in that pumpkin head out of everything on the shelves of Spinneys? Do you have a favourite? Oh, a favourite. Oh, that's difficult. That's a difficult one. Oh, I probably, do you know what, for, for Trick or Treat, I probably would go for probably one of the glow in the dark, just because it's it's new, it's exciting, um, and yeah, experiencing what that tastes like when it's fluorescent green, um, yeah, I think I'd, I probably would pick that, just as a, if I was, had to pick something. <laughs> Truly in the spirit of Halloween, Joe Black, thank you so much for your time today, I know it's a really busy time of year, of course, Halloween around the corner, and then we're getting into all sorts of different uh, cultural celebrations so keep us posted on what's going to be hot on the shelves and what we need to buy before they sell out thank you so much for your time thank you helen you're listening to farmer's kitchen on dubai i 103.8 talking food between now and five and we were broadcasting live yesterday from expo 2020 it is foodie central something i wasn't really expecting when i started hearing about expo i was thinking about the pavilions about the technology the innovations But honestly, the food has become the real hot talking point. It also, of course, promotes the livelihood of people from all over the world who produce the food that we enjoy right here.
here in Dubai, meeting one right now, speaking to us all the way from North Berwick, just up the road from my native Northumberland and one of the most beautiful parts of the world is Stuart Parson, a.k.a. The Lobster Man. Stuart, how are you this afternoon? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am well, thank you. I'm, I'm, I don't say that lightly. I spend an awful lot of time looking on Zoopla and Rightmove at properties in North Berwick going, come on, let there be something that's close to the water and somewhat affordable. Um, so you're so lucky to be in that part of the world and um, you've got a really rich history there as well. I know your family have been fishing for about 300 years. Can you tell us a little bit about your family and, and what you've learned from your dad as well? Yeah, we've been uh, fishing North Berwick for uh, as far as records go back. Um, my dad, my father, my grandfather before him, and my great granddad. Uh, yeah, we've all been fishing, and we've we've kept it going. We're now the longest running fishing family out of North Berwick. Wow. Um, was it, was there any question then, Stuart, that you would do anything different? How would that have gone down? Yeah, I did do something different. I, 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 I got away from fishing for a while. I'm actually a qualified hairdresser. <laughs> <laughs> So, but the fish brought you back in. <laughs> yeah, the, the sea was calling me. It's in my blood. So, uh, yeah, definitely, I went back to it, and I love it. It's the best office in the world. Uh, well, it must be pretty mind blowing, to be honest. I mean, you're speaking to us from, you know, a really rural part of the world, and we're here in, you know, a city in the middle of the desert. Does it kind of blow your mind that we can enjoy the fish that you bring in, the salmon and the seafood, literally? thousands of miles away is that not strange yeah it is slightly strange um but most of uh, the catch from scotland i think what about 80 to 90 percent of it is exported um i don't know why scotland and great britain in particular are not great seafood lovers most of it has been exported for as long as i can remember um but now it's becoming more popular to have local local food and um, due to covid so yeah it's 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 been around for a long time. And it's a big split here as well. You know, we're lucky enough to have that you know that beautiful Scottish salmon, uh, but we also have you know oysters that were you know cultivated a few hours up the road as well. Um, and interestingly, when we look at what the numbers are saying, about fourteen percent of UAE consumers identify as pescatarian, so they only you know follow that fish and seafood diet. And seventy percent of UAE seafood products is imported um, salmon, as you're rightly saying, one of the most most popular into the country um and you know i think a lot of people are avoiding red meat as well can you tell us a little bit about what your your kind of day is like that that leads you to to sending these beautiful products all the way to the uae what time do you wake up in the morning and can you paint us a bit of a picture about how it all unfolds Joan? well in the summertime obviously it's very early as soon as the sun comes up um sometimes we're out the harbour for four o'clock in the morning um so we're up pretty early every day in the summer but we're, we're limited now with daylight and um, so yeah we, we're out at four we're off out and get round all our pots for the lobsters um, which can take us up to six hours a day just out catching them um, and then bring them ashore and we've got heat tanks which we keep them and as I said before most of what I catch was exported but now I use 100% of my own catch uh, and serve it locally so, yeah, yeah, it's uh, normally quite a long day for myself. <laughs> yeah, 4am start. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We-
We are speaking about food this afternoon. We, of course, produce seafood here in the UAE. There's a big push for going local. But when it comes to imported, people are looking closely and wanting to hear the stories and know the people behind those food stories. So we're talking about fishing this afternoon, speaking to Stuart Parson, a.k.a. the lobster man, speaking to us from North Berwick, beautiful part of the world, not far from where I'm from, actually. And... uh, Curious to know, Stuart, as you said, revealed earlier, fully qualified hairdresser, something of a career pivot. Um, it must be quite dangerous out at sea. Have you ever had any close calls over the years? Yes, uh, it's very dangerous out there. Um, yeah, I've had a few close calls myself. Um, there's, there's problems with the boat if the boat loses power or if you get rope round the propeller. Um, but we're, we're never that far away from shore. We're, we're what we call an inshore industry. Um, which means we're we're quite close into the shore all the time, and I have been rescued once. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's quite embarrassing. I was going to say, um, is it more of a bruised ego than anything else, given given the family history in the area? Yeah, yeah, but it happens to the best of us. Cool. I mean, you can't predict what's going to happen out there. And yeah, the sea's a very unforgiving place, so you've got to have your wits about you at all times. Now, you did feel the call of the sea after looking at a different career. And as you said, your, your family, the longest standing in the industry in the area. What, you've got kids yourself. Would you want to see them climbing aboard? Yeah, I'd love to see the kids uh, get in the industry. Yeah, um, keep it going because it's, as I say, it's the best office in the world. You're your own boss. You're out there in the sea and the sights you see. I mean, we see dolphins quite regularly now. And wow. Yeah. I mean, the scenery is just fantastic. It's one of the best places. Now, sustainability is one of the big watchwords at Expo 2020 this year. And I know, of course, in seafood, it's been a hot topic for quite some time. And I just wondered if you could give us a little bit of an insight on how you're making fishing more sustainable in Scotland. What's happening behind the scenes that we as consumers might not even know about, Stuart? Um, we keep it sustainable um, because we have to we measure lobsters to a certain size uh, and we can't catch anything under 87 millimetres, the measurement we have. Super specific. Uh, which gives lobster. Sorry? That's super specific, 87. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a gauge. It goes on the lobster and you've got to measure every single one. And they, it gives them about five years to reproduce. Mm-hmm. So that, and they've got five years from when they're old enough to reproduce. To, to And I think they produce somewhere in the region of 120,000 lobsters eggs a year each. So, um, yeah, the, the sustainability is still there because I'm still catching the same sort of numbers as my father and grandfather caught 30, 40 years ago. So it seems to be working well. Amazing. Um, keeping, them, keeping the numbers up. Well, it's wonderful to hear about the heritage of the area being kept alive and thriving. And again, thank you for all your hard work from our from our sandy shores, Stuart. All the best to you and the, the entire Pearson clan over there in North Berwick. Wishing you a wonderful weekend ahead, sir. Thank you so, so much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, lovely voice, a taste of home um, for me. What a treat. And and don't forget, you can tune in to Dubai Eye 103.8 every single Wednesday. We are live on the ground at Expo. To purchase your tickets is, of course, expo2020dubai.com. The Chef's Table. It is time to meet the chef. And what a chef we have for you today. Thomas Buna trained... Uh, in his native Germany, and we are so honoured to have him here in Dubai as part of Expo 2020. He has got numerous Michelin stars under his belt for his incredible work around the world, and uh, I'm really excited to hear 
more about what you've got planned for us here in the UAE, Chef. How are you? How's your trip to Dubai so far? <laughs> it was a pleasure for me to come here. And I, I have to say it's an honor for me because here in Dubai, the Expo 2020, the world comes together and I can be part of it. So also a great honor for me to be here. Well, people, I, uh, people come together over food. Most commonly, we know we, we eat to celebrate, we eat to communicate, we eat sometimes to commiserate as well. Um, and I wondered, what is the message that you're giving with your food at Expo 2020? What are you trying to communicate? <laughs> in, in millions of years, people come together to eat. And in this time, they sit together at the table. And after Corona, we see how important it is. It's a social point in the family it's a social point for friends to come together to eat something and uh, we want to bring the people together with very very light and intense food in the same time light and intense okay yeah we don't uh, use butter and cream so much but the flavors are really intense and we also try to connect different kitchens of the world so we have an influence of of uh, taiwan where I have a restaurant, we have so the Asian flavors, but also from Spain, from Europe, from Germany a little bit, the red cabbage, the potatoes, potato foam. Uh, so it's my kitchen is a mix of everything uh, we have in the world. And in the first line, it's what I like to do. It's with, perfect for Expo as well. Can we go back in time, though, and hear a little bit about what food meant to you growing up. Where were you born and, and who was cooking in your family home? I was born uh, in the middle of Germany in, in Paderborn. It's a very small city and for sure I regret my parents uh, never go out with me to have a lunch in a restaurant or dinner in a restaurant. Never? It was never, 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 never. But we sit together at home. My mother cooks and we eat together. So to, to sit at the table, to have lunch or dinner together, it, it's my experience from my youth. That's and so fascinating, Chef. I just, I'm just curious because what were some of the meals that your family w- were, were making for you as you were growing up? What were some of the traditional family dishes? Oh, what do you expect from German cuisine? <laughs> you tell so, me. <laughs> <laughs> sauerkraut, some soup, potato soup or whatever. No, nothing really curious things. So very, very local food. So, so, you, but, so you must have then had something of a, a mind-blowing experience then. Yeah, when I finish my school, I don't know what I can learn, what I can do in the future. So my teacher asked me to do a test at the working agency in Germany mm-hmm. and they test me for around six hours and then they come back uh, with the results and they say, okay, the most points he has is for farmer, baker or as a cook, as a chef at the end. And so I say, I can't be a farmer because we have no land. <laughs> I don't want to end in the bakery because I want to sleep longer. It's <laughs> so true. Only it's an early I have, start. I have to become a chef. <laughs> I have to become a chef and after some days I go to my parents and say, okay, if I have to be become a cook, I want to be a good one. I don't want to work in a hospital or in a, in a canteen. I want to go in a restaurant and I want to learn it in the best way it's possible. Getting that sense of discipline in a kitchen, of understanding that hierarchy, of having a mentor. What was your training like, chef? You know, in Germany, you have to learn this profession for three years. Mm-hmm. You have to go in the kitchen and send, uh, some days during the week into the school. And it was 
uh, really hard. 16 hours a day, 15 hours a day, six days a week. I, I learned nothing. I really learned nothing. But at the end, I, I'm a commie de cuisine, and then it starts in, a, in better kitchens. I, I've had the pleasure to work with really good chefs together mm-hmm. in the kitchen, always in a really good team. And I learned a lot. And well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a three Michelin star chef. But I also learn, I have to say, it's not me at the end. I'm only a coach of a team. At the end, my, my team was the way to success. Getting to know Chef Thomas Brunner on Chef Table today. His food has earned him and his restaurants three Michelin stars. And he's serving up an amazing menu at Expo 2020. The Chef's Table. Talking food this afternoon and getting to know Chef Thomas Brunner. He has been working in food since a very young age and has now the proud owner, three Michelin stars throughout his career. And he is serving up a menu at Expo 2020. But very curious to get his take. What does that Michelin recognition mean to him? It makes me goosebumps when I'm talking about <laughs> three stars. I can tell you I'm one of 130 around the world. So it changed everything. What do you want to say when you are outside Germany? I have a very nice kitchen. I'm I'm a good chef. But when you say you have three stars around the world, people know what it means, mm. no? that you are one of 130. So it's the biggest event in my life, I have to say. No, it's, inc- it's, in- it's incredible. And as you say, that recognition, that understanding. And people know what that means. They know what the quality that Michelin looks for, that consistency, that ingenuity and innovation as well. At the end, you say it, it's consistency. No? It's, it's a marathon. It's mm-hmm. not a 100-meter sprint. It's, it's really a, a marathon or, <laughs> let's say, a triathlon. <laughs> or the marathon de sable. Um, can, I, can I ask you then, Chef, what, what does success mean to you now? You started off, you know, that, that young chef back in 91 with your eyes on that first, first Michelin star. What ambitions do you have now, now you're in your early 60s? Uh, I'm consultant for some some different projects around the world. In the moment, my mission is to give my, my knowledge to the younger generation, to work with them, to follow what the, all the changes in the world. Mm-hmm. I think in the near future, restaurant business uh, will have hard times because nobody wants to learn it. We need new concepts, how to teach the young generation to make them understand that this is one of the best jobs you can have. You're, at the end, I'm connected around the world. I have friends in every country. So we have to tell the young generation what it means to be a chef and what, the, what it can mean to them. No? How nice it is to bring people together to cook something and everything. At the end, we feed the world. And that's exactly what you're doing through your menu at Expo. Can you talk us through what uh, people can try and how they can eat your food, the food of a three Michelin star chef? Yeah, we start with a fluffy duck. It's a <laughs> duck liver cream, but it looks like a real duck. So we have a silicone mold from small duck that it's so cute with some orange foam. Then we go a little bit to the... to. Uh, Fish course, it's, it's inspired by uh, Asian Mediterranean kitchen. We have a cot, a steamed cot, and a layer with raw um, otoro tuna. 
And the sauce, it's not really, I don't want to use this, the word sauce. Mm. It's a tea, a saffron tea we add. No, not like a sauce. I know I know what it means, but like like a broth yeah, almost? No, not really like a broth. We, we First of all, we soak soya beans and, and kombu algs in water. Then we cook it with kohlrabi, with ginger, with lemongrass, with saffron. And we add some uh, bonito flakes. So it's, mm. it's so full of taste and full of umami. It's very light, but it's not really. It's more tea like a sauce. And the next course is carabineros. The Spanish gambas, mm-hmm. the really deep red one with the Tom Young. So a little oh. bit inspired by Spanish and Asian kitchen. Then we go to a touch of forest. These are also a full umami course. We have some some uh, different kind of mushrooms and the smoked egg yolk in the middle of it and some uh, fermented leaf, uh, fermented leek. This, this chef sounds like the kind of meal that sometimes I go out for dinner and I think, oh, I could try that at home. This menu sounds like pure escape. <laughs> it, it sounds like pure escapism. It sounds like something that we could never hope to accomplish at home. And, and that's part of the experience. It is. It, but, but isn't that magical, though, that you could be transported through your talents and through your lens, through Spain and Asia and your native Germany? I think that sounds absolutely incredible. What about for dessert? Yeah. Did you have a sweet tooth yourself? I don't have a sweet tooth, but <laughs> I know the people have. So this is very classic French. We, we did a cottage cheese souffle and uh, some cherry ice cream. So very classic, very simple. But at the end of a nine-course menu, I don't want to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to make people crazy. People will be having to get wheeled out of Expo 2020, yes, yes, groaning. Yes, yes. Well, before I let you go, there is a question we ask every chef who comes on the show, and that is what your last meal on earth would be. So I don't want to say death row, but if I was going to send you off to a really terrible desert island, but before you go, you get to have... <laughs> The meal of your dreams. Starter, main yeah. dessert. You could have three cheese courses if you want. Your choice. I'm oh, sure. I hope my last meal will be together with my wife. And, and I can imagine it's, it's only cheese. I, I love cheese. From nice baguette. A French one. Not, not, not the one you find in, in many parts of the world. But uh, really, Paris baguette. You sound like you'd be very happy indeed. Thomas, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, a touch of autumn uh, is uh, is there. The beautiful taste of marmy smoked egg yolk. Love the sound of it. What an experience to go to Expo and be transported by you. A man who's got three Michelin stars. Thank you so much for your time today. Safe travels and thank you for everything that you brought to us here in Dubai. Thank you, thank you. And once again, it's an honour for me to be here. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Great to have you with us this afternoon. And from speaking to a lobster man from North Berwick to speaking to Shelley Brunswick. She is the COO of the Space Foundation. It is Space Week at Expo 2020. I spoke to her recently. She participated in the UN Office of Outer Space Affairs, the Space for Women meeting. She's normally based in Colorado, but is here in Dubai. And I had the chance to have a chat with her about the different types of space tech that are in the world that we use every day, probably without even realising it. 
right now we're talking via Zoom and Zoom would not even be possible without space technology. But I share with your audience, many times your food is coming to you based on precision agriculture, which is using GPS and your transporting of the food to get to you is using GPS. Or every time you swipe your credit card or use a online banking, the entire financial system runs on GP, uh, GPS. So it's all space-based. So as long as your audience listeners love using a credit card and uber and kareem you're using space technology already and you don't even know it it actually encapsulates 16 different sectors so you talked about one the internet of things it's education it's agriculture it's energy it's healthcare. oh my goodness all the healthcare things that have come from space technology transportation so it's already in there robotics artificial intelligence virtual reality miniaturization so we are using space technology and cybersecurity on a daily basis that most people don't even think about. I definitely didn't. Um, and when we think about the way we spend our time, you know, gaming or I love hiking, space tech, of course, helping me with the directions when I'm on a hike and just generally helping us kind of in the world find our way. Absolutely. So you have your apps on your phone that help you, you know, how your maps, your Google Maps, or even when you Google to hike trails, think about all the trails you look up. And you, and you look at all that, that's all based on space technology now. You can actually look at, you know, weather patterns to see, is this going to be a good day to hike or could there be a rainstorm or flooding? Um, so it just gives you an idea. Or will there be a dust storm today? So using that space technology to better predict the weather is helping us every day, not only for pilots to travel with us safely on board their aircraft, but we're also using that earth observation to look for oil and gas reserves or maintain the oil and gas that's already there, help us with resources such as water, help and help us just understand what's happening with our climate. So space technology is really part of everyday life. You know, some of the technology people don't even think about is healthcare, artificial limbs, cataract surgery, mammogram technology, formulated food. Think of all our children who are eating formulated food or sleeping in a bed that was created with fire retardant material. That fire retardant material and formulated food all came from the Apollo era space program. So we're saving firefighters lives today and our children from fires in our home because of the space program. Shelley Brunswick of the Space Foundation um, mentioning children there. And I asked her, um, you know, how her group and space tech can be benefiting the future generations. So at Space Foundation, we're a U.S. nonprofit and we focus on that educational component. We have informal, formal and entrepreneurial training. So our goal is to really help the kids of the future that are going to be future landing on Mars or utilizing that space technology. We want to help them find career paths. And now the career paths are so diverse. We used to, well, we still need STEM professionals, science, technology, engineering, and math, as well as uh, astronauts, but we also need project managers and manufacturing and technicians and fashion designers and artists and media and policymakers. And so now the opportunity for everyone out there is greater. And the other thing we really need is those entrepreneurs. There are still thousands of patents at NASA and the European Space Agency that are waiting to be commercialized uh, and brought to market. The global space economy in 2020, according to Space Foundation, was $447 billion. And of that, 80% is commercial. It's products and services that are benefiting us 
right here on Earth. So when we think about space, there are three times types of countries. There are more than 85 countries that are operating in space. There are countries that want to operate in space. And there are countries that are going to be utilizing space technology. So that is actually every country and every citizen on planet Earth is going to be utilizing and benefiting from space technology. Now, when we think about space and talk about space, certainly recently, a lot of us think about that space race, you know, certain uh, billionaire entrepreneurs wanting to outdo each other in space travel and exploration. So I needed to ask Shelley Brunswick of the Space Foundation about the opportunities that these adventurers uh, perhaps endeavour to solve, you know, what kind of problems they're looking to solve that we face every day that we might not even realise. So the first thing I do want to share with you is I think it's great that Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos have created launch vehicles. What I'll share with you is by SpaceX creating a new form of launch vehicle, a sustainable, reusable launch vehicle, it has exponentially lowered the cost to launch, which has now allowed more individuals like universities to launch things into space for research and scientific studies. That was not financially possible before SpaceX did that. So first of all, it is sustainable, it's reusable, and now it's provided more access. So when we lock unleash entrepreneurship and innovation, we create new solutions and lower the cost and allow more individuals to come in. So first of all, they're not being selfish. They're using commercialization and it is ending up benefiting all of us. But some of the great opportunities with space technology is, again, you can go to the NASA Technology Transfer Office and you can see patents in energy and energy storage solutions. Uh, Precision agricultural is critically important as we look at food security. Uh, When we use space technology for agriculture, it can increase crop yields by 10%. We also look at uh, to live on Mars. It's very inhospitable. So what we need to do is uh, create new energy and energy storage solutions because the current solar panels will not last the lifetime we need on Mars. So we need those new energy and energy storage solutions, but we also need those on Earth to get us into sustainability and net zero to slow climate change and ultimately stop climate change. So the things we solve for Mars, healthcare, uh, sustainability, and energy, food growth, we can use those here on Earth right now. So allowing Uh, innovative entrepreneurs to develop those solutions will allow us to use those solutions on earth. There's a saying, when we solve for space, we solve for earth. I'm still not a fan of of the billionaire space race, but I do take that point about making it more affordable um, and therefore allowing more people such as universities to have their time, uh, you know, in the spotlight as well. Now, I asked uh, Shelley to get her crystal ball out and look into the future. What does she think is next for space exploration? I think we're going to have an even more integrated global space economy where there's more players and more opportunities. Right now, again, there are some countries that are very developed, some countries that are getting developed in space, and some countries that are still very early in their development. We're going to be much more integrated and collaborative. We will have the cis-lunar orbit and the ability to use uh, the moon and use the moon's resources to help us here on Earth. And we will look to have what are the next steps in in Mars? Will we have landed humans on Mars? Will they be able to successfully return? So we will have created that moon to Mars and beyond with more probes, but we're actually going to then harness that technology we learn and create 
better life here on earth. So one of the things I share with you is, you know, women, we suffer from osteoporosis. And when we go to space because of the microgravity, we develop osteoporosis at a much faster rate and much worse. So if we can help solve that so women can go to Mars and live, uh, and live in outer space more, we can now create that solution for women on Earth. So we're going to learn all these new things about healthcare and living off planet that's going to help us here on earth. And I think that will be one of the best things because that is going to help create better quality of life for all of us to use that medical technology, those engine, those energy solutions and those other sustainability solutions. Absolutely incredible. Um, such a wonderful opportunity to speak to uh, Shelley Brunswick of the Space Foundation. You go to spacefoundation.org and there's all sorts of activities on there for kids, uh, teach training and competitions as well. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are talking all things food news this hour. And as I say, always love your recommendations and love to get your reactions on some of the stories we're talking about today. Tahani Tahir is with us and Emirati on entrepreneur who founded Hayawea and she believes that food can be both healthy and affordable contrary to what many people believe. We're going to be looking at the latest headlines taking your questions too. Tahani thank you so much for being with us. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me, Helen. It's well, a pleasure. Thank you for being with us. Now, before we get to food news, I'm getting lots of messages, people wanting to share their last meal on earth. If they could choose, what would it be? And for me, I, I change my mind about this all the time. But for today, I, I think it would be a prawn cocktail to start, my mum's lasagna and then sticky toffee pudding. What about you, Tahani? What would you choose? Well, for me, it'll be home food, as as just said by you, so it'll have to be my mother-in-law's biryani. Oh. She makes the most amazing biryani. Of course, you're like fully full for the next two days after that, but it's so worth it. <laughs> totally, totally. So the calories worth keep it. going, and, and it's absolutely, um, you're sweating because of the spice levels, uh, but you can't stop either. So um, it has to be biryani, breakfast, lunch, dinner, anytime. I love, I love the honesty. And I, I, scoring some good mother-in-law points there as well. Very clever indeed. <laughs> no, she's really good. I have to say she's really good at it. <laughs> we were broadcasting from Expo 2020 yesterday to Honey. And I wondered, have you been up there yet? Have you had any good food experiences? Unfortunately, I haven't been there yet, but serious plans to get there. I was hoping for the weather to get slightly better mm. for, for us to take the kids across. Um, so no, definitely on the cards. I've heard so much about the food. Oh, the so I've heard about the different pavilions. Uh, so somebody that I work with is Hungarian and he was telling me about the Hungarian pavilion, especially the fine dine Hungarian. Ooh. So I'm very excited to try all the pavilions mainly due to their food. I'm planning Both to do fine dine big and, foodie tour. and casual. Well, it's, yeah. it's, it's interesting. We were at the African dining hall yesterday, so I had goat for my lunch yesterday, which, you know, Whoa, not, not and how was that? Incredible. Braised on the um, rib, um, lovely jerk chicken as well. And then they did a Congo bar, which was a cacao and coconut and sugar cane. And it, wow. it was, it was incredible. But on the way to the African dining hall we went past the korean pavilion which is one of mm. the busiest i'm a massive fan of korean food normally but there has been a certain tv program that seems to have put it into the absolute stratosphere and a, and a few bands as well um squid game has sent everyone yeah. in the uae crazy about korea have you watched it or have you resisted up to this point 
Well, I have completely resisted it. So, uh, no, I personally, I'm, I'm not a fan of violence, mm-hmm, I'm but I, I'm well aware of the craze and I'm, I'm well aware of. But honestly, with Korea, I just think even before the Squid Game, I think the Korean culture became popular maybe a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm talking Gangnam Style. If you remember when that Gangnam Style <laughs> Don't get that song, song in my head. came out of nowhere. <laughs> Seriously, and that went, and that is when I think Korea, for me, at least for me and a lot of people I know, came on the map, and we got really curious about the culture. And then to take it to the next level was BTS, mm-hmm. right? We had BTS, which kind of encapsulated Korea completely, and then we were really, really keen to understand a little bit more about Korea, whether it's their food, their skincare. The body care. Yeah, the the seventeen step skincare regime has gone gone crazy. Well, Squid Game seems to have sent it into like a completely next level, and to the point where now even a cafe based in Ajman has had to stop one of the promotions they were doing. They had a challenge which basically said, if you spent fifty dirhams at Dot Cafe, you'd get the Dalgona, that sugar candy um, cookie that everyone's uh, trying to make, trying to follow. Uh, If you cut out the shapes without cracking the candy they you could get this you pick of like a you know a card a discount free meals even an ipad they've had to stop it because people were going going so so crazy um on the food front for me though generally i love korean barbecue um i think there are some great places in dubai where you can go along and have that kind of authentic experience so anyone listening this afternoon please let me know some of your favorite korean spots tahani tahir is with us this afternoon she's saying it'll be her mother-in-law's biryani last meal on earth Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. We are talking the latest food news with foodpreneur uh, Tahani Tahir joining us live on the line. Um, Tahani, I wanted to get a little bit of detail on you, if you don't mind. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to work in the industry and what your background has been so far? Sure. So um, I, I think everything just happened by chance. It just fell in place. Um, so I'm traditionally a banker. I still am a banker. Um, COVID hit and uh, my entire travel schedule was disrupted. Um, I think the COVID year was also when I turned 40. Um, I started to see a lot more people lose their jobs and unfortunately had to attend a lot more funerals. Um, there was, it was just that time of, of my life, I guess, where I started to realize there's something more that I need to do. Um, and I thought of, um, you know, bringing in products that are affordable because a lot of people that I knew in my circle were either losing jobs or were getting laid off or salaries were, were reduced due to the situation. Um, I was one of the fortunate ones that uh, was able to do a little bit about it. So me and a few friends, my husband particularly, um, got together and um, thought of starting something where a lot of people who can't afford foods that are uh, that have inter- a lot of people have intolerances like gluten and all of those foods mm-hmm. are slightly more expensive to buy on a daily yeah. basis. It does pinch your wallet. Um, and uh, my husband and I kind of thought of what can we do. And uh, so yeah, we we employed a company called Triple One Five Inc to kind of do a market research on uh, what we think will work. Is, is, is it a viable project? And we interviewed 180 families across different nationalities and different savvy segments um, and realized there was a clear need for better for you options at affordable pricing. So you do get all the products that you get over here for, for every type of allergy that you can think of. The only issue was pricing. 
it just became unaffordable for a it lot re- of people. It really has in, in terms of, you know, especially with... We've spoken about it on the show before, you know, more diagnosis than ever before and people needing more options. Absolutely. And we have luckily seen more products come to market, but it yeah. can feel prohibitively expensive. And then it becomes, Absolutely. you know, do we just Absolutely. stay at home and not go out anywhere? Or do we just control everything we can control and, and lead quite a small life, which is not not, not what, what anyone wants. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. Also with the kids, it's, you know, when, when you are looking at snacks or you are looking to feed them something, um, you know, you, you don't want the thought to come to your head that this has pinched my wallet. Um, I had a friend who, who who lost, her husband lost a job and the child is autistic, so uh, he's gluten intolerant. And earlier when we'd meet up, uh, you know, she would pay a certain amount for 12 croissants that are gluten free. And then when we met up again, she would tell me, I don't know if I want to pay that type of money mm-hmm. for 12 croissants. And that's when I realized that this is something there is something this is hitting really close to home and um you know there was a clear need Helen it was it was very obvious I just think it needed people to who are I think not from the food industry to get into it because I honestly feel when you're in a circle in a particular industry maybe fresh eyes or a fresh perspective absolutely uh, something that can disrupt what has already kind of been around for hundreds of years can bring in something different Um, and at times I think yeah, and I think the times companies become so large that they they lose sight of your consumer. You know, there's such a big gap between what the, what your consumer really wants to what you're offering because you've just become so large and there's just so many people in the chain by the time you get your information. So it's, fresh, you know, fresh perspective, really good advice. Fresh and, perspective, absolutely. And I think advice that um, some of our uh, some of the people talking about next could definitely pay attention to because a shocking number of food establishments have opened in Dubai this year. You'll never guess how many. Keen to get Tahani's take on how many might make it. She, of course, did extensive customer research uh, before launching her brand. That did these companies. You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai I 103.8. Loads of you getting in touch, sharing what your last meal on earth would be. If you could choose, I want to know. For me, my mum's lasagna, sticky toffee pudding. It's not it's not exotic, but I know how happy it would make me. Uh, I love this from payment. Iranian kebab and Persian prestige stew called Fezendune. Love it. Uh, no name on this one. I have a luxurious buffet, a nice hotel in the palm overlooking the sea. Yes. And uh, from Salma, caviar, just caviar. What about you? Talking latest food news now with Tahan Tahir, an Emirati foodie entrepreneur and banker as well. And I'm, I'm very curious to get your take on this, Tahani, because... Just yesterday, it was revealed a total of 1,536 new food establishments opened in Dubai this year alone, which blew my socks off. There are now more than 20,000 food establishments. And Sultan Ali Tahir, um, acting director of the Food Safety Department, head of the Food Inspection Centre, said that, uh, yeah, over the course of the last nine months, um, more than 1,500 new places have opened, signed of a healthy post-pandemic recovery. And this includes, obviously, hotels and restaurants, but also catering facilities, groceries, kiosks, hotels, cloud kitchens. What's your take on this? Wow. Um, it, it, I mean, it, when we look at the economy, perhaps very positive, if these places yeah. can stay open. Mm-hmm. 
Mm. No, these are absolutely clear signs of economic recovery, which is so exciting for us, Dubaiites and UAEites. I'm excited to see traffic. Mm-hmm. You know, so I know, it's, I know. It's I got, just a really I got, clear sign. My, my commute on the way home increased by about five minutes this week, and I was like, oh, this is actually quite nice, <laughs> which yes. I know it won't I last. I used to be my, that fuming in the car when I'd see traffic and I'd be stuck in traffic, and this time I was smiling away with my music on blast. I'm like, thank you, God. <laughs> We so needed this back. So no, there's a clear sign that there's economic recovery. I think what's happening now is primarily because we're in this perfect storm, mm. which is your weather, the yes. expo, yes. and the COVID recovery and mm. vaccinations around the world that are increasing. So if it's going to be open six months down the line, your answer to your question, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, uh, primarily because... I do think there's a clear recovery and there's a clear sign that people are uh, a lot more comfortable to venture out, mm-hmm. as unlike what it was before. But will all of them survive? I'm hoping they do. I uh, hope so I'm too. hoping, yeah, I, I really hope so because uh, the food industry is, is cutthroat and competitive and people work really hard from that industry. I've found a new, there's a newfound respect for people uh, in the food space, both uh, supply chain as well as food supply as well as everybody involved with food. So uh, it's it's really exciting times, Helen. Can I ask um, you, Tani, what, what are your own habits like when it comes to trying new restaurants? Are you always keen mm-hmm. to go and check out a fresh new place or do you have your favourites that you go back to time and time again? You know, during COVID, a lot of things changed, Helen, for me. Um, and I think um, I still need to go back to what I used to be pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. But pre-COVID and post-COVID, Tahani has changed a bit. But I do think I'll probably go back to pre-COVID. It's just a matter of time. But at this point of time, I, I kind of go out where the kids want to check out a new place. It's all about the kids. <laughs> Same as mine. <laughs> so we don't go out as often as we used to. Um, earlier, it was a no-brainer evening. Let's go out for, for coffee, tea, ice cream, cake. Right now, it's like it's a it's a well-planned event. Your mask's on, your sanitizer on. Let's do it if we have to do it. But that comfort level is slowly building. So instead of once a week, now it's twice a week. Uh, it used to be four times a week. So I, I'm, I'm very curious to try different cuisines, me and my husband. With the kids, funnily, my children are probably a lot more adventurous than me and my husband are. Um, my eldest daughter is crazy about Korean food. My two kids, uh, the middle son and the youngest, anything fast food and junky. So any American fast food joint would be their favorite. Uh, my husband and I are are okay with everything and anything, but no, I'd be very happy to kind of look at something different. Really looking forward to trying the expo and trying uh, all the food that's available from you're different love it. Yet. My criteria now for a place that can you know can steal my heart, and this is so embarrassing. Just don't be too loud. <laughs> let, let me have, <laughs> let me have a conversation. I'm like, oh, you can tell I'm 39 now. You can tell. Um, but I'm much the same. Um, I've I don't know if it's because I've just been traveling recently, but all I want to do right now is kind of curl up on the sofa and cook and you yeah. know have have friends over. Yeah. And it's interesting when we look at how much that delivery model exploded during the last couple of years and we're seeing it internationally as well. I mean, Dubai, we've always loved eating in and eating out, maybe not so much the cooking so much, but um, in the UK, Deliveroo orders, they said they've soared by 59% um, despite restaurants reopening. So delivery is definitely here to stay. 
Welcome back to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Eat well, live well. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. And I tell you what, we're asking you to get in touch with your last meal on earth. If you could choose it, what would it be? And you're making me very hungry indeed. Another Helen saying full roast dinner, homemade Yorkshire puddings and a generous portion of rhubarb and ginger crumbled. For Teresa, it would be oven-cooked baby lamb with roasted potatoes. Anna's going full menu, crab, black cod, broccoli, mashed potatoes and chocolate fondue. And for Marjan, a slow-cooked lamb, Rogan Josh. I love how uh, Mohammed's is being super specific on this. A medium rare, 800 gram filet mignon with steak mashed potatoes. Yum, yum, yum. Farmer's Kitchen on Dubai Eye 103.8. Talking the latest food news. I'm speaking now to foodpreneur Tahani Tahir. And I wondered how you feel about secret menus. There is a, a great burger place called High Joint. We had Dr. Hamdi on the show last week. They have a secret menu and apparently TikTok has become the place to go to to find out if some of your favourite fast food chains have items on the menu that they don't advertise. Have you ever tried this, Tahani? No, I, I actually haven't tried it, but it seems really uh, exclusive and exciting. Apparently, I think as a consumer, it's, yeah, it's just... I think so too. You were talking before about how your kids love fast food and so do mine. And we, we get a bit sick of kind of ordering the same things. But same thing. apparently yeah. there is um, a video called Powerful Websites You Should Know Part 98. Random. Wow. Um, and it talks about um, a, a site called hackthemenu.com. And apparently there's clickable links to some popular fast food chains where there is secret dishes on the menu. Now, what I would say is this is mostly in the States and pretty much everyone who works at these chains hates this <laughs> because mm. they get people like me being like, hi, what's on the secret menu? But if you are <laughs> looking for reliable kind of limited edition dishes, High Joint in Almanara, amazing burgers and they do really kind of cool collaborations and the desserts are on the secret menu. So that's a top tip from me. Tahani, what are, what are you going to be doing this weekend? Where are you eating most, most importantly? Um, so this weekend is at home, um, just at least the afternoon. And then I think we're heading out for a movie after a really long time. Aww. So Venom is out. It seems to be the new kids are really excited to go watch it. So we, we actually love going to um, the theater, you know, where you, you have dinner and food. I did it last so, week. It so, um, so we were actually, funnily, my husband and I were at the theater watching James Bond because, mm. you know, I, I love James Bond. And uh, we went to the theater, the box, and I so enjoyed the food. They've changed the entire menu. Oh, and, it's uh, amazing. And the food was <laughs> really outstanding. So we're going to try and take the kids now. Um, so, yeah, we spent some time with the kids, take them for Venom, and hopefully try and throw in dinner with food. And I think that, that works so perfectly. We I them love it. Yeah, and film, film and food. And it is, you're Absolutely. exactly right. They've recently introduced Chef Akira back to take over the yes. menu at Vox. So yes. I have... Um, like beautiful slow um, like long braised beef and baby vegetables um, yuzu ice cream it is next level well enjoy yourself to honey thank you we've had a number of messages saying can we learn more about their website so can you would you mind just telling us where people sure. can find uh, your products so um, we are spelled as h-a-y-a-w-i-i-a so www.hayawea.com we also have our app which you can download um, and you'll find us in El Coos if you want to drop in and see us and have a cup of coffee. Always do. Honey, thank you so, so much for your time today. Really, really appreciating it. Wish you a thank wonderful... Thank you so much for having me, Helen. Have a great really long weekend with the family. Time. Take care. 
You're listening to Farmer's Kitchen with Spinneys. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. Don't forget, you can tune in live to Farmer's Kitchen every single Thursday afternoon on Dubai Eye 103.8 between 2 and 5 p.m.